back again for another episode of your favorite independent league baseball podcast and we have a great guest this week too so be sure to step into the batter's box as you're about to listen to the indie ball report podcast Alright, we are back again. Another episode, the 57th episode like this, and what seems like the foreverth episode from quarantine. Actually, I think this is probably like our what fourth episode yeah, from I think quarantine. So. About that? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so and we haven't done an episode in person in like nearly a month and a half now, I think. Because, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because the the one before quarantine actually took effect, we tried out the phones and promoted that we could do that and then uh the one before that was a solo episode so i don't think we've actually done a in-person recording session since episode 50 wow Oof. Yeah, it's been a long time long and, time long time in isolation exactly and it looks like it's still gonna be a long time here too which oh yeah really is the killer really is a killer but uh, uh we do have a despite this we do have a good show on tap for you today. Let's take a look at the lineup card, if we would. For some reason, I'm really playing into these baseball puns today. I don't really know why, though. I think it's just <laughs> going crazy from quarantine. A little start crazy, maybe. Yep. So we, of course, have our interview with Craig Maddox of Prospect Digo. Really good interview. Brought up a lot of really good points. Uh, does a really good job of parlaying what uh, what Prospect Dugout does, what it was founded on, and how it's kind of become a really important part of the general kind of baseball community as it were and then he also gives some insight as to his playing time in the Atlantic League it's a really thorough interview so we're really excited to get to that but before all that we do have uh, some Frontier League news in regards to their tryouts some American Association news an announcement coming a week from uh, this recording date which would be the 10th so on the 17th will be news and then the Empire League added a new team and a particular spring football league may be dead today, so we may cover that if we have a little bit of extra time as well. <laughs> but uh, before any of that, let's go ahead and uh, you want to run the interview first or do you want to run some of these stories first? You know what? Let's run the interview. Let's give the people what they want and then we'll give them, uh, give them a little bit of recap at the end. Yeah, right. I'm totally down for doing that, but then we just got to preface this interview a little bit. Uh, we we did talk to Craig Max, prospect dugout, as we just mentioned, comes on. He discusses the Atlantic League tryout. I know we had some questions regarding that, so he answered all of those very thoroughly. Again, he describes prospect dugout, and he also talks about his experiences in independent league baseball, in particular in the Atlantic League uh, there. I thought it was a very insightful interview. He raises some good points, like I mentioned just a minute ago. And there's some there's some things I never really thought of but when he said him, I was like, wow, that's obvious now thinking about it. Now that it just is in the open there. And the importance that he has now that he is in the kind of affiliated world of things, when he kind of goes into the importance that his role has, you know, it really does. It makes you see how important uh, the independent leagues are. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's certainly and his interview is phenomenal. Certainly one of the best that we've had so far in this interview series. And I really do think that he did, Craig did just a phenomenal job of one, like you said, painting a picture of what Prospect Dugout is, um, and also answering our questions because uh, we were kind of in, in the dark on some things um, regarding Prospect Dugout, how they operate, really the digital 
you know, exposure revolution that really has kind of taken over a lot of what happens in independent league baseball uh, and really even in collegiate baseball, as he pointed out, uh, is very interesting. And I I think um, it's just one of those things where you have a guy who really understands the ins and outs of not only independent league baseball, but recruiting for colleges. uh, And then, of course, now within the affiliated leagues uh so that's really interesting there and it's just a great interview overall he does a fantastic job and we're really thankful to have him on to get him on was certainly uh high on our list we'll put it that way oh absolutely we definitely enjoyed having craig on he's more than welcome to come back whenever but before he comes back we gotta let him say his piece the first time so here is our interview with former independent league ball player current hitting coach in the giants organization and Head honcho over at Prospect Dugout, Craig Maddox. All right, we are back now, and we are joined by another big-name guest. We're happy to have him on, the head of Prospect Dugout and former Atlantic Leaguer, Craig Maddox. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. It was our pleasure here. So when we saw that you wanted to come on, we had to make a concerted effort to try and get you on, especially as we kind of approach on what should be the start of the season. We're definitely excited to have yeah. you on, and we figured we'd have you start off by just kind of explaining uh, what it is you guys at Prospect Dugout do. I'm sure a lot of people know you from running the Atlantic League tryout camp and their draft and all that, but maybe you could give us a little bit more insight about uh, what you guys do kind of day-to-day and overall. Right. So a lot of times people think because they see Prospect Dugout being associated with the Atlantic League and we do host and, host and run their uh, – their tryouts and their mini camps. So that's kind of what we we are and what we do. And actually, we started four years ago. Um, Joel Hartman, who's the other co-founder, mm-hmm. him and I started Prospect Dugout. As basically, we saw a need for exposure for high school, college athletes um, digitally. Yeah. Uh, there was there's Perfect Game and there's Prospect Wire and and PBR and all of these these showcase events, but we were really under the impression that we could build an online digital platform for players that either wanted additional exposure or maybe couldn't afford to go to some of these big costly events to showcase themselves with three, four, or five hundred other guys in front of you know two or three college coaches. Um, so that's where the core of Prospect Dugout really started. Uh, we started as a as an app company, so we built an app that's it's currently in beta in the iOS store. Um, and then, as that was going on, we decided to jump on social media and kind of test the market and see, you know, if there was going to be any traction to it. Because four years ago, I had to really explain what digital exposure was. Now, in this pandemic that the nation's in. Uh, it kind of fits into exactly what Prospect Dugout was started four years ago. Is these kids aren't going to showcases. These kids aren't going to, um, you know, events to to get seen. So now, where they're going to get their exposure? It's all going to have to be digital, um, and it's going to have to be from, you know, their cage in their backyard or or from their home. So uh, it's kind of a unique time we're in because four years ago. Like I said, when we started Prospect Dugout, nobody, it was hard to wrap your head around digital exposure, but now everybody's very familiar with it. So we started um, 
proof of concepts kind of on Instagram yeah. and started with zero followers and it just exploded. Uh, we went from zero to a hundred thousand followers in under a year wow. and really, we really knew like, okay, this is, we're on the right path. So that's, that's how CrossFit Dugout started and CrossFit Dugout really is. It's a, it's a social digital baseball community. Um, we do that for our core markets, more of high school, uh, high school players and some college players. Um, yeah, but it's more, so that's the core. That's the core. Yeah. And you're just, your main goal is just to get these kids exposure that, that they just can't, uh, get to these tryouts that they just can't get to a lot of these showcase events, like you're saying. And then I also imagine a lot of them, especially when you guys first started and obviously over time it's probably grown, they didn't have any idea on how to expose themselves. They may have known, okay, I need to get myself out there. I'll put together maybe like a highlight reel or something like that to send around, but they may not have known exactly where to post it or how to go about it. And you guys help expose these players that may otherwise not be found, but get them in front of scouts, get them in front of coaches, get at least put them in contact in a way where you, now they're exposed to more eyes. Right. And we, and we have numerous college coaches on our platform scrolling through our Instagram every single day. Uh, Joel and I will either get texts or we'll get DMs from college coaches asking us, Hey, that player that you just posted, can I get his contact information? And we've had numerous guys actually sign college scholarships via our platform and actually just via our Instagram, just us posting them on Instagram. So the biggest question that we get from, players and player parents is just how do I get in front of these people and a lot of services will say hey just pay us money and we'll do it for you and prospect dugout's whole mission and goal is hey listen like don't rely on us we want you to maximize your exposure and that's why we created prospect dugout in the app where players can go on and create their own profiles their success and their ability to play at the next level being college for a lot of these high school guys is really in their own hands and um that's i think that helps us sleep at night because like i said a lot of these services just say hey pay us x amount of dollars and we'll flood these college coaches with emails and your recruiting videos and sometimes you don't get the uh the roi that you're looking for yeah, and I yeah. imagine with a lot of these services too, you can't really see what exactly they're doing. They're saying they're emailing or sending out the the reels and everything, but there's no proof of that that's happening. And so you're just kind of taking them on their word that they're doing this. With you guys, you could actually see the results. Right. So we put the whole, we put the onus on the player uh, to you know, hey, if you're uploading five videos a day on your prospect dugout profile, and that you're giving yourself a better opportunity to be seen. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's really interesting. And I, I think what is so cool about that is that you give players who might not ultimately have the opportunity to get seen, especially if they're from a, a rural area uh, or something like that, that wouldn't be able to have the eyes on them, that this platform and kind of their own uh, agency to do with it as they, they need. So I think that's really something that's very interesting. Uh, so my, my biggest question is, why do you think that there has been such a market for this. I mean, clearly, you could, anyone could go onto your social media and see you all are uh, a widely popular, widely successful. Why do you think 
Um, do you think it is the digital age that we're in now that we're seeing? Uh, why do you think that your success has been kind of uh, so precipitous as of late? I, I think that's I think that's where kids are. Uh, I think kids kids are on social media. Kids understand social media. Um, they're posting and and college coaches, to be honest with you, like it. And they like to see if they're recruiting a kid nowadays, much different than when I was coming up, you know, the coach is going to see what you're about. He wants to see you play, but then he's going to check your Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, TikTok, whatever you have, because he needs to find out what kind of person he's recruiting. You know, everybody on a baseball field or when they're getting recruited can shake a hand and say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But I, these guys can really see what you're about. So I think that that's part of it. And the other part of it is 12 to 18 year olds love the hype. <laughs> they, that, that just is what it is. Uh, they, they like the, you know, they call it clout nowadays. Uh, so they like that, you know, they want to go to school and show all their friends, hey, man, look, CrossFit Dugout posted me, and I got X amount of likes. There's some kind of, like, value that kids place on likes and follows and, and stuff like that that is is different from when I was in high school or in college. But right. it's yeah. it love it. I definitely see what you mean with that kind of clout and hype thing. I see it a lot, too, where you'll just see guys, they just post something so that way they can get that kind of validation from it. And I almost wonder if it's like they see like all the highlights and stuff from the guys they watch growing up, and by seeing you guys post, they're like, hey, look, I'm kind of like uh, Ken Griffey Jr. or Mike Trout or whoever. Obviously on a lesser scale, but still, it's like it's like a yeah, bit... It's their, it's their ESPN moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I was just wondering one other thing. The coaches and stuff that you have contacting you, typically what are they? Like uh, what division? Like Division Three, Division Two, Division One? From from anywhere from like Division One schools all the way down to JUCOs. Um, we have we have guys signed to mid level JUCOs in Florida, which mid level JUCO in Florida is basically Division One baseball. Okay. But yeah. a lot of schools, especially up in the Northeast. So you know, Prospect Dugout, when we originally started, we're coming up with the idea is is not necessarily targeted at the Boston College, Rutgers, Georgia Tech, Miami, because they have the recruiting budget to send out a guy to California to watch a kid play and recruit him, and they have the name recognition to sign that guy. Mm. We want to create Prospect Dugout the player, but also for D2, the D3, the NAI, the JUCO coach who wants to create this great program, but he's like, I got me and I got a pitching coach who acts like a hitting coach and I have no recruiting budget and I just got to get the guys that fall into my lap. So this opened up massive doors for him to extend out his network throughout the nation. Yeah, now that that's definitely interesting to see that because I would have thought it would have been more of just like that D two level, like you're saying you was targeted at. But to see even Division One guys using it, that that's amazing. Like, just congratulations on building something like that. Because honestly, I'm I'm astounded. I'm astonished here that in four years you guys have managed to go to a level where Division One schools are treating you 
as, yeah, we got to use this. If we're not, we're behind the game. Yeah, and we've done and, and we've done the we've done the legwork. I mean, I wish I could oh, just absolutely. say, "Hey, you sit back and turn it on." But I <laughs> yeah. mean, we we're going. We, you know, Joel and myself, we go to the ABCA every year, which is the the coaches conference, uh, the big coaches conference, and we build relationships and, and build rapport with these guys. And and the reality is that these Division One coaches are on Facebook, Instagram, just as much as you and I and. Mm-hmm the average person is so if they're following baseball centric channels such as prospect dugout they're going to see these kids and one kid might pique their interest and then we get we get a phone call or a text or a dm saying hey you know i got i'm kind of interested in this kid can you send me some more information on Uh, that that's awesome that you guys are giving these kids that otherwise would wind up having their baseball career end at the high school level to give them another opportunity, another shot here. And with that, I think it kind of blends in nicely to talking about the Atlantic League tryout that was supposed to happen at the end of March. And obviously, due to the virus, it's been postponed. So I'm going to open up with, do we have any sort of a new date yet? I imagine the answer is no, but you got to ask anyway. Right. Well, we when we originally scheduled this uh, interview, I was hoping to have a, a date for you. Yeah. Uh, but as as fluid as the situation is, it kind of continues to change. So right now we're we're at we're on a hold. Um, but we're working with Rick White, the Atlantic League. As soon as they give us an inkling on a tentative time that they'll be going, yeah. uh, then we'll have a date out there to everybody. I know we got a lot of, we got a lot of emails and a lot of DMS from all the players that have already signed up saying, Hey, when's this going to happen? So we're working hard to, uh, get it lined up. We've worked hard to get it set up. So, uh, we will happen. It will happen. If the Atlantic league plays in, in 2020, which, I'm expecting them to. The yeah. Atlantic League tryout will happen. Yeah, I, I figured that was going to be the case here because everything is so fluid at the moment. And after seeing all these other leagues either postponing or canceling their stuff, uh, I mean, it was kind of a given that we weren't going to have a date yet. But in the meanwhile, can you just kind of walk us through what it's like when, when a player gets to the tryout? So from the second that they sign up, they're now at the field. What happens from there? So... Player signs up. He shows. He shows up. This year is going to be different than last year mm-hmm. um, because I think we, last year being our first year, we learned a lot of things that we did right and a lot of things that we could do a lot better. And what we've done this year is we've broken up all all the guys into eight different teams. So prior to coming, they'll be assigned a roster, and then. They, they show up, they check in, they get their T-shirt, and then they will report to their field for BP. Okay. Player goes through the rounds of BP. After BP, on each field, they'll do an extended infield outfield. Then we break for lunch, and then we play a 10-inning game each day. This gives guys an opportunity to get, to get seen. When, when we were talking about me coming on, I, I thought this would be a great you know, opportunity to let your audience know 
it's very into independent baseball and there's a lot of things out there. I listen to your guys' podcast all the time. You know, I know yeah. you've talked to uh, the Black Sox and all, you know, yeah, everybody like that. That's, and, and, and I wanted to make sure that people understood because we came on the scene last year as a partner with the Atlantic League and people thought that we were, you know, competing with the Black Sox or competing with the Baseball Scouting League or whatever other winter leagues are out there. Um, the California winter league, yeah, whatever. Um, and that's really not the case. And I think mm. when we started this interview explaining what prospect dugout really originally started out as yeah. is what it is today. We just fell into a situation where one of our investors in prospect dugout is Anthony Ivacone, who was the owner of the new Britain bees. And so he set up the relationship with Rick White that I have now, and I explained to Rick White that I saw there was an opportunity for the Atlantic League to host tryout camp. Um, And it really seemed from my personal playing experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I spent 13 years as a player, and only two of those years as an affiliated ball player. So I spent a decade in independent baseball, um, playing in the Can-Am league, playing in the American association. And I spent six years playing in the American association before I could even get a shot to be a backup in the Atlantic league. I really wanted to start this tryout to give guys an opportunity to get in front of the Atlantic league managers so that they could get eyes on them. And, uh, that's such a huge thing for me as a former player is I want to give these guys an opportunity to get seen and get seen by these Atlantic league managers, because to be straightforward with you, an Atlantic league manager gets so many emails every single day that unless they know you or your baseball reference says I played in triple A or the big leagues, they just can't respond to all the emails or they can't respond to all the phone calls. But there's players out there, such as myself, who never played above a ball, but honed his craft throughout the Canaan League and the American Association that was an adequate talent in the Atlantic League. But I only got in because I played against Stan Clyburn and he knew who I was and it was a relationship type thing. So yeah, the Atlantic tryouts just to give these guys an opportunity. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I think trying to com- like you said a little bit ago, uh, trying to compare you guys to one of the winter leagues is just not really a fair comparison at all. Because, like you said, you guys have two different goals, and the fact you're doing the tryout, like you said, is just you got a good opportunity and you had to take advantage of it. I think you definitely hit something that we've seen kind of across the board where you see a lot of talented ball players that wind up in a different league that are just as capable for the Atlantic League, but understanding that the Atlantic League, they built up a reputation of being that top independent league, being almost a AAA quality league that when they have, when every manager in the league itself gets inundated with players wanting to play in the league because obviously the reputation they have to find some way to filter them out so i definitely see the the deep value in having the uh in the tryout and having something like that 
when as this goes on, you will get those more talented players into the league that may have been overlooked. But uh, one thing I did when I was talking to somebody else, I a lot of players were telling them, and so they wanted me to ask you. I and I assume the answer is yes. But when eventually this tryout is held, I assume the other twenty co- the guaranteed contracts for the Road Warrior team were still going to be handed out there. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, and that and that's part of our deal with the Atlantic League hmm. is, and again, I think sometimes people see Prospect Dugout and they don't see the people behind Prospect Dugout. Like I was a player. I mean, I was a player until last year, and yeah. Joel Hartman, my my partner. He was a player too. So I mean, I'm a, I'm on the player side, and I want to give these guys the best opportunity. So that's why when we approached the Atlantic League, it was a non-negotiable that they had to offer contracts because yeah. I didn't want this to look like what a lot of people or a lot of leagues do say is that oh, that's just a money grab for the league. No, I want these guys to have real opportunity, and out of the I think twelve guys that were drafted last year. Mm-hmm. Only eight. Only eight teams were. Only eight players were supposed to be drafted, but four teams drafted twice. I will, I, over, I think eight of those guys maintained the whole year okay. in the Atlantic League. So that's a fantastic yeah, ratio, and and it wasn't the top guys that that got drafted. It was I know for us in Southern Maryland, we drafted a pitcher, John Hayes. Okay. Yeah. Who had barely? I think he just had rookie ball experience in some time in the American Association, mm. and you know he stuck with the club all year. Um, right. yeah. You know the level of talent at that tryout was crazy last year. I mean, we had ten guys with major league service time at the tryout last year. Wow. So yeah, I mean it was incredible. Yeah. Then also, I think it gives players a lot more of a direct path. Some guys that may not know how they would try to get into the Atlantic League. Now they see the trial and go, oh, okay, I see my direct path now. And having those guaranteed contracts too, I imagine it brings out a little bit more competition among the group here because they know, okay, if I'm one of the top 20 guys, I'm going to get a contract. So I need to really go all out here. Right. Exactly. And that's why we decided from last year where we had two days of gameplay we said, hey, let's do, let's give these guys even more of a shot. You know, yeah. two days, okay, you get a couple, you get four or five at bats. Okay, let's let's give these guys twelve at bats, yeah. so that they're getting a ton of value. They're getting the opportunity, and and I tell a lot of guys that sign up, and we had a lot of guys that emailed us after the event last year, and listen, one day tryouts or even four day mini camps are it's a tough go. Yeah. Like yeah. it's I would I'll be straight up with anybody that asks me, mm-hmm. you know, do you think I got a shot? I'll say the likelihood's not there. But where the likelihood lies is these managers, and I know all of them personally, mm. they sign guys that they've seen. Yeah. They like to see sign guys that they've seen. So we saw we saw twelve guys drafted right out of the camp last year. Mm. Over the course of 2019, we saw 41 players signed, whether that be in the American Association, the Can-Am League, or the Atlantic League. So you coming to these showcases, you you get into the network, and you can't put value on that. 
you know, it's instead of you being the guy that's cold calling Stan Clyburn in Southern Maryland and saying, I'm John so-and-so, an outfielder, you say, hey, Stan, remember me at the showcase? Stan says, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to keep you in mind. And he puts little star next to your name. So these guys, that goes a long way with them if they can put eyes on you. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these tryouts and stuff, it's a lot of just laying groundwork. I mean, like you say, if you call, if you cold call someone, it's going to be like, oh, well, I didn't really want this and you're not anyone of note here. So I'm just going to disregard it. And if you just email someone a link to your baseball reference page, you're like, oh, that's great. But you only did X, Y, and Z. But getting the in-person experience with a player, not only can you just see how they play, you can also tell a lot more about them as a person. You can see how they conduct themselves. And I imagine having that kind of professional work ethic in the way that you handle yourself also weighs into the decision of to sign a player or not to sign a player. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, the legwork is huge. Mm. And everybody and everybody's agent is the best salesperson for them mm. when they're on the phone with the manager. You know, you're not going to call a manager and say, hey, I'm going to be real with you. I'm not that good, but I really want to play. Yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> you're going to say, hey, I'm the best right fielder in the country, and I can come in, and I can hit fifth in your lineup and drive in runs and this, that, and the other. So these guys get that kind of phone call and that email every single day. I think if you talk to any player, player person, you know, I know you guys had Mike Mike Faff on last week. Yep. If you went and I asked Mike Faff and give you a straight answer, he has probably heard everything in the book from an agent or a player calling. There's yeah. thousand, a thousand best players in the world out there. You know, on <laughs> yeah. on any given day. I imagine after a while, you just start to look for the creative reason as to why I should get you. I wonder how many guys just cut off a player at a mid-pitch going, look, I've heard the same pitch before. Do some, Pitch me different. <laughs> right. Like, you got to start being kind of creative to get their attention <laughs> because they hear it all the time. So if you can come to these showcases, and yeah, ideally, I would love for everybody to get signed. But the reality is, like, there's just not enough spots in the Atlantic League. There's not enough spots in baseball in general. That's why guys get released out of organizations. Like, there's just, it's a numbers game. And, I mean, guys, it's cliche, but guys say it all the time. I mean, it is a numbers game. So, for you to come and these managers see the hunger, they see the fire, and they respect the fact that you take yourself serious enough mm. to pay to come to an event, like that goes a long way. And I can't tell, I can't tell guys that enough that say, Oh, well, I'll just sit at home and make some videos in my backyard and email them to, you know, Bali back. It's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, uh, another thing that's interesting and I'd like to get your take on it is, do you think that, uh, there's really an evening out, uh, between, like you said, you know, a guy might not have played, it might not have major league time, uh, but might be able to, you know, open some eyes and maybe he doesn't get signed in the Atlantic League, but it opens some doors for him in the American Association or now the, the Frontier League. So do you think that that is something that uh, really happens a lot at, at these camps is that not only do you open somebody's eyes, but it really levels the playing field for guys you don't have as much experience or as much name recognition? No doubt about it. And And what I want your audience to know, which a lot of people might not know, is that we don't, 
at our event, at the Atlantic League tryout, we don't just keep it Atlantic League teams only. So we have 13 major league teams committed to come and send their scouts. We have, we open it up to all the other independent leagues. We had four Can-Am teams there last year, two American Association, and two Frontier League teams there last year. So these guys are not just getting exposure to the Atlantic League. They're getting exposure to all the leagues. And on top of that, you take a guy like, well, I know personally Stan Clyburn, mm. who is very, very good buddies with Butch Hobson in Chicago. Well, Stan might be at the showcase and see a guy and know Butch is looking for an outfielder and say, hey, Butch, I got a guy. Let me send you his contact information. Or a guy like Billy Horn, who's very good friends with Brooks Carey, like, hey, Brooks, we don't have a spot in high point here for him, but I know you're looking for a first baseman in New Jersey. Let me, let me send you this guy's contact. So it is, if I can give you guys an insight on the inside of independent baseball, mm-hmm. it is a massive network. You know, it's, yeah. it's a huge, huge, huge network of people and everybody's trying to help these players. At the end of the day, you're in independent baseball. If you're a coach, you're trying to help the player because there's no end game for you as in I'm working in the minor leagues. I'm trying to move my way up. I want to make it to the big league club. Like, yeah, you want to keep getting that experience because you want to get that shot in affiliated ball coaching. Yes. But you're there to make the player better because if you win, you get players signed. That's going to bode well for you. It seems like there's just a giant community here. And that's the one thing we've gotten across talking to everybody between talking to Joe, talking to TJ, talking to whomever, it seems like the hard work and the work ethic and your mentality of being a professional is one thing that is a default must have. It should never be in question. And the other thing is how closely tight knit everybody is, how much it seems like everybody knows everybody else. And when you have that there, it goes to exactly what you're saying in that you need to go to the tryout regardless of what league it is. You never know who's going to be watching is really the point. You know, it just takes the right guy to see you and then you can wind up in the right spot. No, no doubt about it. I mean, all of professional baseball, I think if you ask any guy that, that had the opportunity, been blessed to play the game at the professional level, there's numerous stories of, and I just, I just kind of got lucky, fell into the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And it worked out for me and I took advantage of it, mm-hmm. but there is a little bit of luck involved. And, and sometimes Guy A might go to one tryout and get signed, and guy B might be just as good, but it might take him two or three years to latch onto a team. Just the way it goes. Exactly. I mean, if you want to play baseball for a living or you want to try and carve a career out of baseball, it's not going to be easy. I mean, every kid in America wants the same exact thing, so you got to do something that makes you stand out. The ones that make it are the guys that are either just uber-talented have a tremendous work ethic or, you know, they keep at it. They keep their nose to the grindstone. They do all that legwork, like you're saying. And normally the ones that are truly successful, the ones that have all three of that. Right. No, no doubt about it. I mean, there's every, every guy's got a story about how they ended up where they ended up. And everybody's got moments that they can say, man, I'm glad I did that. If you ask anybody, anybody in independent baseball who's been through it, who's been around. 
Exactly, yeah. I just want to kind of turn to talking a little bit about your experience playing in the Atlantic League, because I know you had mentioned that you were a player and you've played independent league baseball for a while. So I'm just kind of curious to know what that was like being a player in the Atlantic League. I had nothing but good experiences. So my my first year in the Atlantic League was 2015. Mm -hmm. I got traded. I spent the previous four years in Gary uh, with the Railcats. Um, won a championship there in 13, loved my time in Gary. It was amazing. Um, I was getting a little bit older. I was think I was 29 at the time and, um, was said, Hey, listen, we're going to, we're going to go a little bit younger with the team because the travel is a little bit longer in the American association. We want to trade you to the Atlantic league. Stan Clyburn's interested in you coming in. And Stan had actually been the manager of Sioux City for, I think, 2012 and 13. So he had seen me play. He'd kind of seen me, what I can do. So he took a flyer on me and said, hey, yeah, we'll bring you in. Came in, went from being uh, 2013 American Association champion to 2014 American Association All-Star to be in a 30 year old backup catcher in the Atlantic league. (laughs) So (laughs) that's what, you know, sometimes these guys don't want to, to take the grind that it takes. Like, yeah, everybody wants to be a starter, but you got to step back and have perspective and say, okay, I'm where I wanted to be. Mm. So do I accept this role and just kind of go with it and see where it takes me? And I did, I embraced it. I was, uh, backup catcher i got some time at dh i think i got about 280 280 at bats or so but we had an amazing team we won the first half made it to the made it to the finals against somerset yeah um had an amazing time and again like i said i was 30 years old catcher backup i was like all right you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. I'm going to retire. I made it to the Atlantic league. This is where I wanted to be. It was kind of my big leagues. Um, yeah. and I, I could hang, you know, I did well enough. So I went home that off season and Stan Clyburn called me and said, Hey, I know you're thinking about retiring, but they're starting up a new team in new Britain. Mm. And I know you might want to get into coaching. Um, would you be interested in coming up and being a player coach? Cause you can still hit. And, um, yeah. I want you, I want you to take on that role because we don't really have the budget to hire a full-time hitting coach. And I said, yeah, not really expecting anything. Um, thinking, Hey, I'm going to go up there really get a coach, probably DH, you know, one day a week on a Sunday game or a Saturday night, and, you know, just have fun with it and enjoy it. Nothing to lose. Right. And, um, 2016, went up to New Britain, yeah. opened a night, wasn't even in the lineup, got a pinch hit, I think, in the eighth inning, got a base hit, and yeah. then the rest is history. Played, just just stuck with a plan, helped the guys out with a hitting coach and DH to hit four every day, and was fortunate. I was an all-star in 2016, and then um, had the best year of my career yeah. in the Atlantic League, and, and really just solidified to me that hey like i can i can hang in the atlantic league i can play with the best of the best and, and i can do good i think i finished 10th in the 10th in the league that year in hitting um 
So was really happy with that. And then 2017 held the same role. Um, 2018, Stan didn't get his contract renewed in New Britain. They went with Wally Backman. Yeah. I had an opportunity to go back to New Britain. I decided to go to Chicago with Butch Hobson. Um, went over there for about a month um, and didn't realize how taxing the travel is on the body yeah. um, after being away for three years. Yeah. Um, so I uh, requested a trade back to the Atlantic League and then landed in Southern Maryland and um, played there for the next year, basically, and, and retired last year. And that seems to be the common thread that we keep here. And like, I know when I talk to players normally over Instagram or something, they say, yeah, that's the one thing about the American association is the travels brutal on you, especially when you step back a little bit, then you jump back into the league. You're like, Oh God, this, the bus trip from Chicago down to Texas or up to Winnipeg, it catches you by surprise the first time as to how that's going to go. But everything I hear about the Atlantic league just keeps confirming what we've always thought all along, which is it's just such a high quality league that really gives players so many opportunities in so many different aspects. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the travel's tough. And, and the thing is, I think that the, as long as the Atlantic league continues to have, you know, a hundred, 120, 140 game season, mm then they will always be a premier destination. Um, I think the more they expand, you know, now they're all the way down to North Carolina and things like that. The the travel used to be, the games played and the travel used to be the major appeal in the Atlantic League because you used to just have Bridgeport, Long Island, New Britain, you know, you were in a cluster. So your furthest bus trip was like for us in New Britain was six and a half hours down to Southern Maryland, which is yeah. a is a cakewalk compared to, you know, Chicago to Winnipeg, which is, you know, fourteen and a half. Yeah. And the amount of games you can play, the ability to start in April and finish in mid September is always gonna give the Atlantic League the Yeah, that edge the heads up. Yeah, yeah, because when you play those more games, you get the more reps, and obviously then you, you have more uh, film and more stats, and you have more opportunities for scouts and coaches at a higher level to see you play. And also then you attract the better competition too, even though I personally believe that the American Association and Atlantic League are fairly comparable. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I, I you know People ask me all the time because I've been in both yeah. what I think. And there's there's big time differences in the Atlantic League versus the American Association top to bottom talent wise. Yeah. I would say, you know, you get your you're gonna get your Telvin Nashes who go over to the American Association and yeah, like that's a big time name yeah. that's leaving one league and going to another. But the fact that the rosters are smaller, yeah, there's a status level. Mm-hmm. Is, is a is, is a big time difference. So you're talking about probably in the American Association, your dangerous hitters are like one through maybe six, and then you kind of got seven, eight, nine are kind of flushes. Yeah. With 
just younger guys, maybe a rookie guy, a guy that just got barely any experience. And then the same way with the bullpen, because the bullpens have to be smaller because the roster sizes are smaller. You know, you're going to have your closer, but you're going to have your gimmick mop-up wash guy, yeah. where in the Atlantic League, I mean, I hit fourth in Gary for four years, and then I went to the Atlantic League, and I was hitting eighth or ninth. So it's like yeah. you're taking a four-hitter from the American Association, and now he's hitting eighth every day in the Atlantic League. The power of the, the lineup is so much different experience-wise. Yeah. And then I'll go to war any, any, any day with anybody that says that the pitching's better because mm. I faced the Lancaster bullpen yeah. that was just throwing fuel from both sides yeah. for about two years. And you don't see that in your association. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you definitely get that high level talent there. And again, I think it's a lot due to that kind of prestige here, where you see guy, or I think a lot of guys see as, all right, it's basically a triple A or quadruple A league. So you're going to get the guys that are throwing in the in the 90s consistently. And then if you look at like what the Can Am was, or the Frontier was, you have one guy that's touching 90. It's like, oh shit, this guy. He's something else. Yeah, I mean, he's going to blow everybody's doors off. You know, if you get a guy who goes over there from the Atlantic League, let's say a guy who's throwing mid, mid-90s, mid yeah. like, he's, he's going to blow that guy's doors off. Like, he's yeah. going to be a guy with a with a with probably a sub-3 or sub-2 ERA out of the bullpen because you're, the dynamic is so different. If you go from a starter who's throwing 85 to 88, and then you bring in a bullpen guy who's still in 95, that's a massive difference than yeah. an Atlantic League team that, you know, your starters throw in 90 to 93, and then the bullpen guys throw in 94 to 96. There's not that much of a drop off. Yeah, no, it, it's yeah. insane seeing the quality of talent there. Uh, James, you have anything else you want to ask? Yeah, just the one last question. I think that uh, certainly has been on on my mind. Uh, so, what do you think of uh, the the new rule changes that the Atlantic League has kind of implemented here? Just what are your thoughts on them? Uh, maybe just overall, what's your thoughts on the the partnership there with Major League Baseball and everything? I think it's great. I think uh, the Atlantic League and what Rick White's done with his relationship with Major League Baseball is is good. For, not just for the Atlantic League and bringing light to independent baseball, and I can tell you from now being in affiliated baseball how respected independent leagues are in affiliated baseball versus 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's, I think it's great. I think that these are people have to understand these are things, they're not just rolling dice and saying oh yeah we're going to make the basis bigger or, oh yeah we're going to eliminate the shift like these are things that are being seriously looked at by the commissioner of major league baseball not some rogue team that they've assembled like this is coming from the commissioner of major league baseball now that these are things they would like to implement into major league baseball so to have that light on the atlantic league is being hey you know, you guys are going to test it out. Guys get really kind of in their feelings about it, saying, oh, well, I'm not a guinea pig. No, but you you are 
you're being privileged to something that's going to make you more valuable because uh, I'm, I'm in the San Francisco Giants organization right now as a hitting coach and the newest hire out of anybody. We're in a meeting with everybody. With, I mean, everybody, big league coaches, minor league coaches. And I'm the guy who gets asked, hey, how did they do this in the Atlantic League last year, Craig? Because you were there. Uh, so, you know, like, they take this stuff very serious. And, like, now I get I get the benefit of standing up and talking to all these people because I was there. Like, these players could take advantage of it if it's something that gets implemented and say, hey, like, I can come in and I can make this adjustment quicker than your guy can because I've done it for a year. Yeah, yeah. that's a powerful tool to have, definitely. That is like I'm. I'm before kind of looking from the outside looking in here. I definitely was more aligning with the players aspect of it because I definitely see their point where it's like, look, we're trying to get back to the major leagues. We got a whole different set of rules here. But the thing I didn't consider until just now was that having experience in these new rule sets makes you more appealing to certain major league teams because if they're going to start implementing these rules at the the MILB level or eventually the major league level, if you have someone that's already played under those circumstances, all of a sudden now it's like, oh, well, why don't we give this guy a shot? He, he'll he have less of an adjustment period. So that's something that's very, very interesting. All right. It's definitely an advantage. And again, it's all how you allow yourself to look at the situation. Mm. You know, if you want to look at it as an excuse why you don't, you're not getting out of there or, you know, you always have to look at it as an opportunity and what value you can take out of it for the positive. So many guys want to just buck the system and, and not adapt to change. And then all of a sudden they're going to be out of baseball and baseball forget about you real quick. Yeah, 100%. We see that every year. Guys that are tremendous studs, next thing you know, you start wondering, whatever happened to him? And Oh, yeah. And then you, you Google <laughs> yeah. the name, you go, oh, wow, he's a contractor now. <laughs> it happens fast. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, man, you've been very generous with your time, so we thank you for coming on. Uh, if you have anything you'd want to plug or you know something you want to summarize or anything like that, uh, we're going to give you the floor to do that right now. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me me on. Um, if if you guys want to check us out on Instagram, it's at Prospect Dugout. And if you have any questions uh, about the Atlantic League showcases and mini camps, all the updates will be on prospectdugout.tv, or you can email me personally at Craig at prospectdugout.com. All right, man, that's awesome. Thank you again for coming on. Uh, congrats about the newest addition to your family, too, and being now a member of the Giants organization. We'd love to have you I back on again. It. Yep, and we'd love to have you back on again uh, eventually when we get closer to having the tryouts and all that. So, uh, Yeah, that'd be great. I'd, lo I'd love to be back on. I appreciate you guys having me, and you guys are killing it with your podcast. I like listening to it every week. Right. Thank all you. Right, great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for that. All right. Again, thanks to Craig for coming on. We really did appreciate him. Uh, it was a great interview we had with him. And like I said before the interview started, raised a lot of good points. And like I say all, all the time, uh, all our guests are always welcome back, but Craig especially. Always, always happy to have him on. Uh, he knows a lot about the game and particularly about kind of the uh, 
the inner workings of how organizations work, which I know for me is a more interesting, I'd say, or it's just something I find particularly interesting, rather, because we do know how the on-the-field game works by and large, sure. but mm-hmm. the whole behind-the-scenes element is really what's cool. So Yeah, and that was really cool, and that was something that really struck me was we've known for the whole year plus that we've been doing this that there's a community in independent league baseball, but we really got to see how vital networking is within independent league baseball with what Craig was saying. And I really thought that was something that he gave it extra insight to that perhaps some of our listeners and certainly myself unaware of to a certain extent. I mean, it's so interesting that you can have a guy go to one of these tryouts, a prospect dugout tryout, and then, you know, like you said, Stan Clyburn talks to someone else and all of a sudden, here we go, a guy could get signed in a completely other league because of how connected uh, all this big network of independent league baseball is. So that was one of the things that I just found so fascinating about the interview was just how much he understands kind of the uh, inner workings of independent league baseball. Yeah, how Stan will talk to Butch and then Butch will talk to Brooks and then Brooks will talk to so-and-so. And next thing you know, we got teams and players from all around playing well all around and I, I really did find that interesting. I also found kind of the roots interesting. I knew, generally speaking, what prospect I got was coming into the interview, certainly, but I didn't realize the kind of founding mission was to try and get these high school kids scouted, to try and get these college guys scouted. And I'm pretty sure, as most people could tell, when he mentioned that he has D1 guys, too, and D1 coaches that call him up and scout there, I'm just like, wow. I'm really shocked here. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't have thought that you would have gotten these high-quality programs here. And, I mean, sure, certainly there's going to be some people saying, oh, yeah, but if it's not, you know, like this Power 5 conferencing, if it's not Vanderbilt, if it's not LSU, if it's not whoever, it's not that big of a deal. But it certainly is. Division 1 is, is Division 1. I mean, Absolutely. Whether it's Albany or whether it's, you know, Vanderbilt, it's still Division 1 baseball. It's still only how many athletes get to that level i mean really what probably about two three thousand get to that point oh yeah absolutely and if that- the other thing does that i thought was so interesting and why prospect dugout has really a huge and crucial role to play in kind of evening out the scales for a lot of these smaller schools is you know you might have there's a lot of small schools that have d2 really good d2 and d3 baseball coaches in especially where we are in new jersey uh, particularly in the northwestern New Jersey region. So you have a lot of D2 and D3 schools that are working really, really hard to get players and to have a tool like this that can really show you a guy from anywhere in the nation on the app or on the Instagram. To me, that makes such a difference for the players, for the coaches. It one In one case, you can get guys into these D1 institutions that work, you know, that might have, again, a little bit more prestige to them. But the other thing it does is, like I just said, it allows for everything to kind of be evened out. Talent can find a place to play always if you have these type of things available to players. And so that's why I think Craig does a really, really good job of putting people in the position to succeed. And I I was really impressed with the, the fact that he's got an app. I think that is really fascinating that he has this framework to really be successful there. I think that's something that is really interesting. Oh, 100%. That was something that I thought was uh, very intriguing, too. And to see him take the this perspective of seeing this hole in this market. Have, you know, there's only so many showcases and whatnot that you know a player can go to. Even the ones that can get to the showcases, I mean, uh, 
the whole process of going to a showcase, paying for the showcase, the whole nine on it, it's not it's not inexpensive here. So besides the players that just physically can't get there, there's also an income thing too, where you have some guys that can't afford to go to these things. You know, they can't afford to be, you know, spending however many weekends in a different sedate trying to get seen by scouts and whatnot. And so to kind of level this field and seeing that there was this hole in that marketplace and filling it is something that was very intriguing to me. Um, also, I certainly uh, found it interesting here how he was saying, you know, that they've gotten to the point where they have this clout among these younger people where it's like, look, my thing got posted on the main prospect dugout page. And yeah. as he said, you know, it, it's their ESPN moment. And yep. I mean, I definitely could see that. I mean, I definitely could see it. And that definitely helps grow, not only because now you're sharing it among everybody in the room, but now. You know, you start bragging about this shit to, uh, you know, the guy that's at first base here. You get your base hit, you get on. You're like, you see my thing? I'm the kid from the from the prospect dugout post yesterday. And, I mean, if you're bragging about that first base, uh, that's not a good idea. No, probably not a good multiple idea. Multiple reasons for that. Up, but <laughs> you look like a tool, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, still. not great. But your, your point is solid, yeah. that especially within uh, clubhouses, locker rooms, Guys are going to talk, especially high school kids. You know, when I was in high school, you know, you get you get a big hit. You think you're uh, the next Derek Jeter. And so I think that's the, the same type of thing that's going to that's going to happen. And you're absolutely right. Is that that's why they have 300 over 300, well over 300,000 followers is because, you know, the, the young people of this generation are looking at it. If you're 18, 17 years old and you're on this site that is 300,000 uh, people viewing it. Uh, you're really going to be uh, in for for a good experience, and I think that's what makes this so interesting. Is it's kind of melding baseball and social media, and it's it's really cutting edge if you think about it in terms of branding and marketing. And he allows the players to do it themselves, which is really really something that I think mm. is undervalued in all of this. Is that the fact that they can do it themselves makes it so they have agency as to whether they want to post twenty videos of themselves working out uh, in one day or if they only want to not post anything i mean they have the ability to see how well they're going to get that exposure yeah no definitely i mean you go ahead and you could say you know you put your 20 videos up you're going to give yourself a better chance if you put up two videos but then also just from a business perspective it makes life so much easier because you have user generated content and you have kids that want to be on this front page. So now you could go ahead, you could find it, you could put it right up. And now not only do you have access to a bunch of really cool and amazing clips, like if you haven't seen it, uh, definitely go to Prospect Dugout on Instagram and check it out. There's some really impressive stuff there. I mean, I think you just wrapped up doing a, kind of a bat flip bracket type thing. And some of the bat flips are pretty cool, I'll give them that much. But to have that kind of content there that you don't have to do anything to create and that you could just take it from from uh, your users and put it up on the site and not only have permission but have their blessing to do it it makes it so cool because it really is like that community experience and it makes yeah. it fairly easy to keep up with because you know you'll always have content there's always going to be something to post you know having Craig on was very cool then also hearing him talk about how the Atlantic League kind of turned into his major leagues type thing yeah, that was, was, awesome. was something that was also really cool and to see the kind of difference between the various leagues and stuff, how, you know, the American State, American Association, they're, they're good, but they don't have fireballers like the Atlantic League has. Right. Which then yeah, makes you, you appreciate that Lancaster bullpen. And she was yeah. right. Yeah. They have some, they had some guns back in the day. And then you also got 
that makes you think too with guys like David Kubiak and uh, these other guys here that are like lights out in the league and they still don't get signed. It gives you more of a general appreciation for how tough it is to make yeah. it in affiliated baseball and how consistently good you have to be. Oh yeah, you have to be ridiculous. You have to be the best of the best and you have to be able to do it consistently. And also, like you said, there's just an amount of luck to these things. You have to have the right network in place at the right time in order to be successful and that's just the way it is and so unfortunately that's what happens i mean that's that's what it is and so some guys don't ever find that right situation and that's why it's so awesome to me that you can have an independent league like the atlantic league where reaching it is a lot is the pinnacle for a lot of these guys i think that's okay i think that's a good thing that you can have such a good league where you're treated so well the travel isn't too bad all of this is kind of comes together and you can have a league that is sort of like you said, you brought it up, put it perfectly in the interview. Mm-hmm. You said it's like a quadruple A, triple A kind of league. It absolutely is. It's like a st- just a step below the major leagues. And so to me, I think that's what makes it really cool and, and really interesting. hundred percent. I can't agree more with that. And it's so awesome to see that and see how things go and work in those leagues and to see this whole kind of uh, behind the scenes element. And then the thing that really, I was really impressed by was how he was saying, yeah, when when I got into the one meeting with the whole Giants coaching organization, how they were asking me about this stuff. So these rule changes aren't just for the hell of it. They These are things that are actually being considered, and they look to guys that played under these rules or coached with these rules or operate under these rules. They look to them for experience. You have the manager of the San Francisco Giants going, well, what do you think about this? How How would you handle this? To have a guy like that, I forget who replaced uh, Bruce Boccio over there, but still, you have a major league manager and major league staff asking your opinion on it when you're the newest guy in the room. It speaks volumes about it, and I think it does kind of help settle my mind a little bit in regards to a lot of these changes we're seeing across the Atlantic League. Yeah, I agree. It settled my mind, too. I think he was very eloquent when he spoke about that and really hit the nail on the head in terms of the, the key piece we've been missing, right? We've been trying to fit this puzzle together, and we had uh, Michael Faft on uh, to talk about this a little bit, and we've talked about it to a bunch of different people. Will has talked about it. You guys wrote the article. We kind of pieced the puzzle together. This was the last piece for me. This was the missing piece, is that how seriously Major League Baseball is taking this, I think to me, kind of like you said, it, it, it soothes me a little bit. It, it quells some of those thoughts that I had that this was the worst thing that could have ever happened to the Atlantic League. I think it is, in fact, much the opposite because you have guys, like you said, who both on the staff side and the player side are going to get brought into clubhouses because they're going to are going to get brought into affiliated organizations, if not major league clubs, to say, okay, how does this work? How do you do? You know, how do you use? This rule, this rule change to your advantage. How did you do it in the Atlantic League? And so I think that there is definitely that is the last piece of the puzzle that really, to me, uh, kind of solidifies the argument that this is at least from a really, really macro level that we still understand. I think all of those little micro uh, problems that exist within the rule changes are still very valid and players concerns are still very valid but at least on a macro level if you could get signed to a club and asked about your expertise in this particular moment it's all about a chance right we've talked about it all interview it was all about a chance that one opportunity well this could get an, an atlantic leaguer an opportunity like you said with the expertise it's definitely going to provide a lot more opportunities for these guys and so i couldn't agree more with that the other thing that i found 
kind of interesting from what he has said, how these rules can be an advantage for players. How they're going to get a leg up on a lot of other guys here simply because they've played under these rules. They know what the deal is already. They have experience with that. And that experience and that expertise is really going to help them to get selected and get their contracts purchased and move along to different leagues. I mean, that is really another interesting part of it. And something else that makes him made this interview so great was, again, to really understand that from the flip side of coaches are going to look for players who have the experience because they have a leg up and they think that, you know, it's maybe it's better to have a guy who was in the Atlantic leagues last year playing under these new rules that have now been implemented than somebody who was playing maybe in double or triple A and doesn't have the experience with these rules. So I think that's definitely uh, an interesting point that he really brought up that made a lot of sense to me. And it's part of what made the interview so fascinating to me was that really we got a, a full scope. Uh, we, we've looked at a lot from the player side, but now we got the full scope to see kind of the behind the scenes stuff. A hundred percent. I mean, it was a terrific interview, top from bottom there. And he definitely showed a lot of the real potential that independent league baseball has and a lot of how it operates. He shined a light on a lot of different things. I think we covered an awful lot in our interview and it was all very well done. And so I thank Craig for coming on the show. And if you guys want to check out all his stuff and what he does, be sure to head over to the Prospect Dugout Instagram page, Prospect Dugout on Instagram. And if you're a player and you have any questions about the tryouts that maybe we didn't cover, that we didn't get to answer here, then be sure to shoot him an email. He, I believe it was Craig at prospectdugout.com. You have any questions that may be easier answered just on their website, go to prospectdugout.tv to try to look that up. That's where all the updates for this is going to be posted. So be sure to check that out as well. So I think with that said, we can kind of move on to covering uh, uh, the kind of news topics of the day. There's not terribly much more to really talk about here, but still there's some stuff and I think it's worth a quick mention at the very least. So I'm going to kind of combine these next two because they're both Corona topics. So there's only so much that you can really say about them before, you know, you talk them to death. And Christ knows we've spent the past what, five weeks talking about this thing nonstop, and it comes oh, up yeah. seemingly every interview we do. So I got to imagine people are getting tired of hearing about it, but if it's the only thing in the news, well, the only thing in the news, there's not much we could really do to change that. Right. Um, so the Frontier League draft slash tryout, the ones that were going to be in Evansville, the one that was going to be in Allentown that's gotten moved a couple times now, is being pushed again. Uh, the Allentown one will be on May 15th. The Evansville one will be on May 16th. So what was supposed to be the original opening day for the Frontier League will now have their tryouts. I'm a little bit more hopeful that these dates are actually going to stick. They put them a month out now, which tells me they're getting information that says in a month we may be able to do kind of a limited engagement thing, which would be nice to see. I also wonder if because they push it back so far that this is the last time they're going to push it back. And if by this point, then maybe it's a bad signal or bad omen. That's something that also just kind of came to my mind there. Uh, Same deal as last time. Uh, Still going to be a close tryout. If you're already registered to either tryout, it's going to be accepted. Yeah, same start times and everything. Links in our show notes to check that out. Or on the, I believe, Frontier League website or Evanville website. You can check that out there, too. So, uh, yeah, thoughts about that? One of those things, yep. Yeah. So, what, do you, what are you thinking about this? you think this is going to be one of those uh, kind of 
quick last ditch efforts to get a tryout in? Do we think it's going to just be moved again if it's not able to be played? What's the thoughts? I think this is probably it, right? I mean, I think they've moved it back as far as it can go, um, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, maybe you could do one more date. Maybe you could try one more date. But if things aren't starting to open up by then, um, probably not going to be able to do it. Uh, I think, you know, the season, everyone has been talking about it. All these seasons are very much up in the air right now, no matter what, you know, a lot of leagues don't want to be talking about that. Uh, and certainly it would hurt, pain, it would be painful on many, many, many levels for a lot of these leagues and teams. But so they don't want to bring them, bring it up. But I think to a certain extent, the, you know, if this doesn't happen, it could be one of those things where it gets scrapped. Um, this new date it could, it could be one of those things that gets scrapped and that could be kind of a, a foreshadowing uh, for difficulties in, in playing the, the schedule. Exactly. I, I agree with that entirely. Already, it's going to be kind of tough to readjust their schedule after their postponement of the season. And with rosters for a lot of teams not being complete yet and still needing to fill in some gaps here, how much further can you push it back? Because even if you say they have to push it back one more time, say May 30th and 31st, let's call it. Yep. Then even if after that tryout, you get everything together and then you start training camp on let's say June 3rd. So it gives them three days to get to whatever team just signed them and make things. It's all real quick together. That may be too close of a date. It may not be. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility. Then figure it's going to take at least seven days to get everybody into game shape. So now we've gone to June 10th. So then you have to get teams where they need to be to play. So let's say June 12th is our opening date. So now we're going to start playing on June 12th and have to fit a 100-game schedule into from June 12th to even if you're willing to bump the season back to, say, September 12th. It's still going to be a tight fit. It's definitely doable. I, I want to point that out, that nothing's set in stone here, but I, I'm inclined to agree with you here that this is kind of an omen to me because before they just push them back like a week or two at a time, but the fact we went a full month now kind of insinuates something to me and the fact that this league is so widely spread out tells me that just because new york and new jersey will be fine doesn't mean that indiana and ohio will be fine and with it being very difficult to kind of predict the next you know hotspot regions and where this is going to kind of flare up you can't really go off of that until we have this under control. And obviously it's not going to be under control anytime soon just because it moves out of a region. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. Yeah. Just because one region's numbers are down, as we've talked about before, another region's numbers could shoot right back up. And it's, it's a difficult situation to monitor as we keep going over. And the reality of the situation is that we don't know. Nobody knows, but the longer these things continue to get pushed back, the worse it can ultimately seem it might get uh, for in terms of there being baseball this summer. Uh, you know, we, we, we want nothing more than these seasons to be played. Uh, we are not trying to be pessimistic here, uh, but I think it's it's important to be realistic uh, when it comes to just the gravity of this, this situation at this point. 100%. I will say, though, the one thing that is a saving grace for them is they don't draw as large, which is kind of odd. This is going to be a saving grace. Typically, they don't draw as large of a crowd 
as an Atlantic League or as an American Association does. If I'm and I'm just kind of judging off of uh, the Can-Am League uh, attendance numbers last year, I believe Rockland led the way at about three thousand. Right. So, if we're going to say that the Can-Am and the Frontier is fairly comparable for attendance, I'd obviously have to look up their attendance numbers really quickly. But uh, I'm not going to at the present moment. I'll probably go into more detail about that at a later time. But if we're going to say they're roughly similar. And with no team drawing more than 4,000 a game, you could, in theory, limit people to 2,500 a game if you got clearance from, you know, local government to do that. And you could play games under those conditions. It's not ideal, but it's certainly doable. And that may help, you know, alleviate some stress here because there's going to be some teams that this is, you know, a backbreaker for. Which teams they are, we don't know, and I don't want to speculate on until I actually have, you know, solid footing to suggest a team or another. But still, I got to imagine anything that gets people in the in the gate and gets some revenue going for these teams has to be on the table. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, anything at this point that can help teams out will certainly be uh, on the table. I would I'd rather play 75 games and still have baseball than play no games. But that, again, as we've said, is all about how this number the numbers game happens and also when does the the social stigma of going out and be in these events being lifted right when when does the medical uh tests that that we have the medical personnel uh that we have the experts say that this is okay to be lifted and then when does the politicians and government officials who make these calls when do they ultimately lift that that might not be the exactly in the same time period you know Medical uh, personnel, some medical personnel could say one thing and a government official could decide that it'd be better for their state to wait longer. Uh, that that is, a, that is possible. Or you could have the flip side where there's uh, certainly government personnel who will, you know, who might not listen to uh, the, the warnings of uh, medical uh, experts. So I think it's very important that we understand the complexity that is this situation is on a large scale and it's not just one or two variables it's a lot of factors that go into this exactly and as we've discussed in length just because you can go out doesn't mean people will go out like you were just right. that's kind of social stigma to it it's like uh, i'm not sure if i want to risk getting this virus for a minor league baseball game you know even yeah. if you're even if you argue the all clear it's thumbs up we're good to go we're not going to see business as usual until there's a vaccine, and we're probably not seeing a vaccine till end of 2021, 2022 at the earliest. I know some people are saying 12 to 18 months, but that'd be the fastest vaccine's ever been developed, and I'm not sure how many people are going to be comfortable going, ooh, this vaccine definitely was rushed through this process here, and it's the fastest ever been developed, and went through just enough testing to get FDA approval. Shoot it into my arm right now. Without knowing the side effects, sure. I mean, yes. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have people that are gonna be like, that. "Yeah, it's gonna be like, uh, I trust vaccines, but I want this one to go through some testing and see how this goes first. And so, if we don't have the herd immunity from enough people getting this or a vaccine, business is never gonna go back to fully as usual for right. at least some time. So it's gonna be interesting to see that. Flip side, we go to the American Association. Uh, they have an announcement coming regarding opening day. That's going to be made on April 17th. Presumably, they'll announce that they're officially moving this thing back. As uh, 
one local news affiliate in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, I believe it's the CBS station out there, are, was saying that the season's going to be delayed. Uh, they talked with the Salt Dogs GM. He was even more dire than we're being. He said, I'm doubtful we're going to see baseball played this season because of all these viruses and basically saying what's good for Lincoln may not be good for St. Paul or for Sioux City. Just because it, we're fine doesn't mean they're fine. And having all the players come into these areas is going to create a problem. Uh, we were also told that uh, players in the American Association were told not to report on May 6th as they are originally scheduled to. So, Yeah, so that clearly, not much to say there. That is clearly just that it's finally going to get postponed. Exactly. I mean, it, it's a matter of time. We went on a whole rant about this either last week or the week before about yep. how it needs to be delayed and that's going to hold firm here. And obviously we are hoping that, uh, you know, baseball will be able to be played. But, you know, yeah, at this point, it's still the same things hold true. It's a fluid situation. We don't know anything and health has to take priority over leisure. So, yep, simple as that. And just unfortunate to see here. But good news is next week we'll at least have uh, that official news to report on. That's right. We'll have official news to report on. That's true. <laughs> that, or maybe the announces we're going for it anyway. We're not postponing maybe. anything. <laughs> maybe you never know. Maybe they'll double down. I mean, if they double down, they'll be more entertaining. It would be entertaining. I doubt it, but it would be entertaining. Exactly. So, <laughs> and then we go now to our last baseball topic of the day. The Empire League is going to have a new team. So they have already added the Georgia Rhinos. That has Tim Raines involved there. They are also adding. The Tupper Lake River Pigs. Who? Now, here's my question. I saw this. Yes. Right? I thought, does, do the Tupper Lake River Pigs actually play within the confines of the Adirondack Park? Because Tupper Lake is a, as a town. The village of Tupper Lake is in the Adirondacks. This is an interesting question. Maybe someone could get back to us on this. I'm not sure if they actually play within the park, but that would be pretty cool if they played within the Adirondack Park. I, I know they are in the Adirondacks, and they are playing in that area. If you allow me just a moment, I can pull up the announcement here and tell you where the ballpark is. So I'm going to need because, you to fill time here whilst I find this. Because, uh, yeah, if they do play up there, that's a very interesting thing. Now, the population down there in, in the Adirondacks is, is low. I mean, because you have a lot of state land that is owned and there's this really interesting mix between public and private, but a lot of the land, it can be resold, but it can't be, you can't buy new land. So there's not going to be any new development. So it's very interesting uh, to see that this is done. The population's low. And so I, I think it could work for an empire league. I think it really could work, uh, especially in the summer, you get a lot more people up there. So it's, a, it's an interesting kind of situation there. Yeah, no, so it looks like they're playing in Municipal Park. Um, let's go ahead and plug the address in here as to whereabouts Municipal Park is. So I be it seems like they are playing in the Adirondacks. So that's really cool. I mean, that that's interesting. I, th it opens up a lot of interesting dynamics for the team. Um, obviously, I, I'm I'm a, a huge lover of nature and the and the Adirondacks, and so I think it's interesting to see. It's a it's a good thing for the economy. Um, I'm not sure if uh, some of my environmentalist friends how they feel about it, but I certainly know that the economy up there does struggle to get going sometimes. So this could be a big boost for them. Yeah, no, it, yeah. Now they are playing uh, in the Adirondacks, right on Lake Tupper. Wow, right on uh, Tupper Lake. Yeah, wow, Tupper that's, Lake that's Municipal cool. Park. Yeah, no, they are. Uh, they are. Cool. Yeah, they're right by the arena there. 
Uh, it seems like they're across the street from Ray's Discount Liquor and Dollar General Mania? and the McDonald's. So you go get your dollar liquor in your cup from the Dollar General and a, and a Big Mac. You can do and that all. Head to the game. Head to the game. Sit right on, uh, let's see, what is this? Uh, Racket Pond. Ah, there you go. And then, you know, and then what you can do is you can go for a, a nice hike in the high peaks afterwards and you'll be in good shape. Yep. And in case people are wondering, from northern New Jersey it is approximately four and a half to five hours away. So that's Yeah, a, it's not bad. It's not a bad drive. Yeah. So there is that. It's actually closer to Canada than it is to uh, most other states, to be honest with you. It's about as far from Canada as it is from Vermont. So, yep, that's probably true. <laughs> so it's right up there with some of the other teams. So that's some, there's that. And then the last thing we're going to end today's show with, um, I know people aren't normally happy when we talk about some XFL football because it's a baseball <laughs> show and I understand it. But we cover whenever spring leagues die here. And now in about the past, let's see, 14 months we've done this show, we've seen two spring football leagues start and fail. Now, I will say the XFL has laid off all their employees and supposedly they're suspending operations. Uh, most credible people are reporting it. It came out from ESPN, so I'm going to call it that this league is done. Now, I got to say, I'm not very surprised, uh, namely because it's spring football and spring football suffers the two main things that make football really appealing. One, the high-quality talent, which, not to say these players aren't talented, but they're not NFL quality. And right. it's a lot different from watching minor league baseball where, while, yeah, you are expecting not major league talent, you do see some former major leaguers in there fairly frequently. And also, there's more of a spectacle around the game just because of the nature of baseball itself. And it's right. more of an event. And then the second thing that has them fail is they have no real legacy to them you can't just drop a team into our region and expect the team and expect all the locals to immediately adopt it certainly the diehards will but by and large you suffer from football fatigue after the super bowl oh yeah you stopped caring because your team's out of it you maybe care for the playoffs because they're more exciting and you probably cared about the super bowl because you had a party or something to go to yep. so now that we've gotten that out of the way people are like ah whatever we're switching into college basketball mode, then we're switching into baseball mode, and then the weather gets warm, and people want to do stuff outside. And the last thing people really want to do is sit in a football stadium and watch minor league football. More people would rather just sit in a baseball stadium and watch minor league baseball, as <laughs> I, evident. As evident, yeah. I mean, I think, look, I'm not going to trash on it. I know a lot of people enjoyed it. I know a lot of people really liked it. So I won't go in too hard on it. Like you said, this is a baseball show, 100%. Um, but I think it's interesting to touch upon very quickly. And all I will say is that if you go back, we talked about this earlier, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, when the, once it, once this all yeah, kicked off. Yeah, about two, we, about two months ago. I forget what episode yep. it was, but I think it was like 44 or something like that. Yep, something like that. You can look back on it and you can see what my take was on it then, that it wasn't going to last and... Unfortunately, I was right. I mean, we were both right. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where it, it spring football isn't going to work. And once you start to rely solely on gimmicks to get people to go and the, the branding and marketing wasn't good. Now, I will say. I think they would have survived for another season if we weren't in the middle of, you know, the oh, worst absolutely. pandemic since 1918. Uh, so to preface that comment, 
it wasn't entirely the XFL's fault that it didn't succeed. However, I just think spring football in general um, is not something that will be successful for a long period of time. As we've seen with the AAF and now with the XFL, it might be time to give up on the, the hope of minor league spring football. Exactly. It just, uh, we were talking about this off air and I won't go into too much detail because we're, we are running a little bit long here and I'm sure people are a lot less interested about, you know, the football aspect of it. But there's a lot of business reasons why it didn't work and why something like this doesn't, doesn't work. Football is more expensive than baseball. It's hard to get people into the stadium. They're, the game's not structured for, to make it an event. The If you make it cheaper, you're going to get a different kind of audience than you're going to get at a baseball game. A cheap baseball game gets families. A cheap football game gets kind of rowdy tailgaters. So you're not going to be inviting those families in, despite them trying to cater to it. That and also, like you said, personally, I wasn't really a fan of any of the branding across any team. Certainly they had some good players, but not enough to make me want to sit in the Meadowlands in the New Jersey winter. And yeah. That's a fair point. <laughs> and it's just it's just such a meh thing. And like you're saying, I think we do see the spring leagues. They always come through, you know, once every 20 years. There's always, well, once every 10 years, normally one pops up. But every 20 years, normally one big one comes up. This time it was the XFL slash AAF. Last time it was well, the XFL again. The time before that it was the USFL. I mean... In a different extent, you had a Rebel Football League in the AFL, which was the only one that was remotely close to successful. So, I mean, every every 20 years or so, you'll wind up with one major one that makes a splash. So, it was a, really just a matter of time than anything else. So, I think in 20 years from now, we're going to see, again, more f- spring football. And I think it's, again, again going to go the same way, unless they come up with some new way to change the game, which, frankly, like I say, I don't see happening. But, who knows? Yep. Yeah, I mean that's where that's where I'll leave it on that. Who knows? Exactly. So, just wanted to bring up the XFL and their demise, as it were. So, with that said, I don't think we have anything else left to cover today. So we will plug and get out of here. Um, as we know, you can find the show wherever you can find podcasts: TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, uh, Spotify, iTunes. Apple Podcasts, you know, the whole deal. You can find them all there. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at Indie Ball Report and Indie Ball Report James. You can find us on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod. You can find Craig Maddox, who was our guest on today's show, on Instagram at Prospect Duckout. So, one thing I believe that covers all our plugs, except for our website, which is www.indieballreport.com. And our YouTube channel, which is Indie Ball Report Podcast on YouTube, which will be getting a brand new series going up fairly soon. Probably two weeks. Yep. So, with that being said, do we have anything else left to add? I know, again, this is going to sign it off the same way I've been doing it every week. Everyone stay safe. We want to thank our healthcare workers out there, and everyone working hard. Uh, stay inside, social isolate, social distance the best you can, and just try to get through this time and know that we'll be back again next week for more new ball content. 100%. And thank you to all the warehouse workers. I like to think someone a bit different from the medical people. We all know they're important. But the warehouse people are also unsung heroes. They still have to go to work. They still got to pluck all the stuff. And yep. whenever you order something online, they're the ones who have to go grab it. And they got to work in really uptight, fast-paced conditions, close-packed. 
And, you know, they they still got to do that job. And if they get sick, then everyone gets sick, too, because they're spreading it amongst all those packages. So stay safe to them and thank you for doing your job. Yep. So Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So with all that said and nothing else left to add, you know the drill around here. And until next time, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>